in this account today in Mark's gospel, Jesus is going to give this famous statement. It's really the theme verse of the book of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who was ransomed to buy you back out of the slave market of sin and death is Jesus. He is our ransom. And that's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. All right, so take your Bible. We're going to be in Mark 10. The title is Ransom, Mark 10. We'll look at verses 32 through 45. I want you to uh, hold a place in Mark's gospel and also turn to John 13. John 13, okay? So those are the two places we will begin. Mark 10, John 13. Now to prepare us for what's ahead, and I think many of you know what's ahead, um, the disciples are gonna do another goofy thing. Shouldn't shock us, right? Um, But I think just like as we teach through the book of Genesis, Genesis uh, 30, Wednesday night, we went through Genesis 30, and it was, I, I have to say, we did a lot of laughing on Wednesday night, if you were here. How many of you were here on Wednesday night? I apologize for the comedy routine that it turned into, but if you want to go back and listen to this, the message, the reason we were laughing so much is that we could relate so well with this messed up family that ends up becoming you know, the 12 tribes of Israel through Jacob. So uh, I think that there's hope there for all of us. But before we get into this particular teaching and we watch, we're going to watch James and John do something that in many ways seems unthinkable. Jesus is going to tell them for the third time in Mark's gospel, I'm getting ready to die. We're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to mock me, scourge me, spit upon me, kill me. And we're going to watch them just brush that aside and become extremely selfish. And, you know, you can sit and read your Bible sometimes and think to yourself, I can't believe that. I can't believe people who were around Jesus for this long could be so selfish. Until you take a look in the mirror. And then you realize how selfish we all can be. But here's what I wanted to show you before we go into the Mark uh, section. This is John 13, verse 1. This is the famous section leading into him, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. This is called the upper room discourse. So John chapters 13 through 17 all take place in a 24-hour period of time called the upper room discourse. So the night before Jesus is going to die, this is what he does. Now, before the feast of the Passover, John 13, 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I think it's just really beautiful to know that even though, if you turn to Mark, we're going to look at another kind of bumbling situation among the disciples. And we're going to wonder how Jesus could ever put up with a group of 12 guys like this. John 13 tells us, even to the end when he was just about to be crucified, 
And with all that he had dealt with from not only them, but all the people pressing on him and wanting you know, a piece of him for what they could get out of him, the Bible tells us he loved them to the end. He never gave up on them. And he won't give up on you, no matter what struggles you bring to the table. Mark 10, 32 is where we pick up the section as we move through Mark's gospel. The title is Ransom. Let's read it together. Mark 10, 32 says, and they were on the road, Mark 10, 32, going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem because it's an elevated city. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus is walking ahead of the disciples. This is quite an image of a shepherd because we know shepherd, a shepherd leads the flock. Uh, he leads them to green pastures and still waters. And there's a little message in here that I think we just need to take note of, and it's this, wherever he leads, you're supposed to follow. It's not supposed to be the reverse, by the way. It's not supposed to be, Lord, I'm going over here. Would you follow me over here today? It's supposed to be that he's our good shepherd and we follow his lead. And this is a beautiful picture of a shepherd leading his flock. And he's leading them. In fact, he just says, we're going to Jerusalem. This is the first time in Mark's gospel that he's, he'll give three warnings about what's coming the first time he mentions Jerusalem specifically. And if you study Jerusalem, you know, if you've done any study at all, it's the city of God. It's this beautiful place. It's the place where God said he would write his name forever, but it's also the city that kills the prophets, that, you know, won't listen. And this is where Jesus is going for the ultimate showdown. He's going to go and die for the sins of the world. And still, the disciples just cannot fathom. Luke 9.51, if you want to make a note of it, says that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. And you know, uh, where he's going is he's going to be brutally killed. And yet he leads his flock because he's going to lead them by dying for them. Ultimately, that's how he secures their place in the kingdom. The Bible tells us in verse 32 that the tension seemed to be thick. They were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. This comes on the heels of Jesus' teaching about the rich young ruler, and he said how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And then they said, well, then who can be saved, Lord? And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible, but with God... All things are possible. But there was some shock and awe. There was a lot of things that Jesus said and did that just staggered these guys. And still they couldn't fathom that he was going to die. They thought he was going to go restore David's throne in Jerusalem, kick the Romans out, restore the glory of Israel. But Jesus said in Mark 10, 31, many who are first will be last, and the last first and now he pulls the 12 aside and he gives them the straight reality of what is ahead of him and by extension, what they're going to have to deal with. And he says, behold, 33, we are going up to Jerusalem 
And the Son of Man, which is a title for the Messiah, will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. There is the gospel, but this is the gospel in prophecy. We all need to just be reminded that Jesus Christ predicted his own death and resurrection. If you turn on some channels on your television, they will say, some people say Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. There's some religious movements that say, no, it couldn't have been him. Maybe it was a, a twin or, you know, it wasn't really him on the cross. And there's other people that say, oh, no, this whole death and resurrection thing is just a metaphor for something else. He didn't really rise from the dead. But you know what? Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection. If it didn't come to pass, what does that make him? A false prophet. It did come to pass exactly as he said it would. And by the way, this just lends more credence to his deity because he predicted his own death and resurrection and exactly how it would happen. He would be mocked. Sadly, he would be spit upon, scourged, and killed. Now, there's several times in our Bibles, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 50, where Jesus is appealing to something that was found in the book of Isaiah, and it's called the four servant songs. Go to Isaiah 50. I want to show you a few of them this morning, Isaiah 50, and we'll connect the Old Testament with the New. And here's one of the servant songs. This is called the Servant of Yahweh. He's the shadowy figure in the Old Testament. It seems like every time some difficult teaching is given to Israel, something about their shortcomings or even God's discipline of them, this, this figure emerges and he's this shadowy figure that sometimes it looks like he's actually Israel itself, but he's actually the Messiah. And he's called the servant of Yahweh. I'll show you that in Isaiah 53 when we come to the end of this message. But for this uh, section, pick up Isaiah 50 verse 1. This is one of the servant songs. I believe this is the third one. It says, thus says the Lord, Isaiah 50, verse one, where is the certificate of divorce by which I've sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. Isaiah 50, verse two. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Is my hand so short that it cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness. I make sackcloth their covering. And then notice what happens now. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I think of Jesus leading the 12 to Jerusalem. He would not turn back. He had set his face like flint to Jerusalem. Notice this prophecy. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. If you've seen any movies that depict the, the passion of the Christ, 
You'll take note that some of the movies show them grabbing his beard and pulling his beard out. And uh, any of you who have grown facial hair know how painful that is. Uh, This is not mentioned, by the way, in the New Testament accounts, but we just infer that it did occur by this prophecy. We know his back was scourged with the cat of nine tails. He says, I notice the voluntary nature of the prophecy. I gave my back to those who strike me. Jesus would say in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I give it of my own accord. I have the power to, to give it, the power to take it back again. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com, scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer, and our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. He says, they plucked out the beard. I did not cover my face when they were spitting in his face. This prophecy says he didn't even cover his face. I didn't cover my face from humiliation and spitting. It amazes me in Mark's gospel, there are times when Jesus even uses his spittle to heal people. Those are remarkable occasions, and we almost look at them in a bit of uh, being perplexed. But to spit in someone's face is the ultimate insult. And that's what they did to him. And he says, I didn't cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. Everybody, if you haven't written this before in your Bible, write Luke 9.51. This is where it comes from. I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That's one of the servant songs predicting the death of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back to Mark's gospel, um. This is what Jesus is facing, but we're going to watch the disciples ask him to give them prominent positions in the coming kingdom. And we have to ask the question, what's going on with them? And I I suppose that we get hints from the gospel of Mark, what's really going on, and it's this. At least four times I can catalog in my own study times when Jesus sit, uh, or the, the gospel end, mentions their hardness of heart. Mark 2.28 says, Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart, speaking of the religious leaders. Might want to just jot these down. Mark 6.52 says, the apostles' hearts were hardened and they hadn't gained insight from the miracle of the loaves and fish and fish. Um, Mark 8.17, Jesus directly says, do you have a hardened heart to the apostles? And in Mark 10, 5, Jesus says, Moses gave a certificate of divorce because your hearts are hard. And once again, I think we're going to see that their hearts are callous. Now, I'm a baseball fan. We're in baseball playoff time. And at the beginning of spring training, athletes, baseball players who don't want to wear batting gloves will actually build up calluses on their hands so that they can toughen up their hands for a long season ahead. And 
When the Bible talks about a hard heart, it speaks of a calloused heart. It speaks of a heart that's been layered again over and over and over again. And usually, if you go with the image, it's because of being wounded. When we get a wounded heart, we sometimes get a calloused heart. And many people who are walking around our city this morning, and they're not going to step foot in a church this morning, have a calloused heart. But this is not about people out there. This is about the 12 followers of Christ who are going to take the baton of the gospel. And Jesus has noted several times that they have a hard heart. So think about the context now. Jesus leading the way to Jerusalem has to pull the 12 aside. Their shock and fear and amazement. He reminds them, we're going. This is what's going to happen to me. Terrible you know, this is what, what's ahead. You would think that after this, one of the apostles would have took Jesus aside, put his, their arm around him and said, Lord, can I pray for you? Lord, Lord, can I pray right now that you would be strengthened for what you're I don't understand why you're going to die. That's not even in my theology. I thought you were just going to restore the kingdom right now. But if that's what you say, I know you're the truth. Therefore, we're going to surround you. In fact, why don't we get all 12 of us around you, Lord? You, why don't you just sit for a minute? You're always giving yourself away to everybody. And we'll just pray for you right now. Okay, Lord, that's what we'll do. Because we know how much you love us and we love you. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that's... That's what the Bible teaches us next. But it ain't going to happen. Notice what comes right after he says what's going to happen to him. And James and John. Now, let's just park here for a second. James and John. Who, who are these guys? This is the inner circle. This Peter, James, and John are usually the three guys. If anybody gets separated, these three are like the inner circle of the inner circle. They're the ones that Jesus takes into the room when he raises the little girl, Jairus' daughter. These are the three guys that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw the glory of Jesus revealed. And James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, known as the sons of thunder, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to die and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to Jerusalem, mocked, spit up upon, scourged, crucified, rise again. Okay, yeah, yeah. But let's not talk about you. <laughs> let's talk about our favorite subject, us. See, we know you just said you're going to be treated terribly and die and rise and thus provide the way for all mankind. But what we're really concerned about is what we want you to do for us. In fact, here's the way we're going to put it. Hey, Lord, we want you to do whatever we're about to ask you to do, okay? Okay? Would you, would you just go ahead and... Lord, we prepared a document right here. Would you just go ahead and sign this? I will do whatever James and John ask me to do in the coming moments. Okay, just sign here, Lord. Don't worry about the small print. It's not a big deal. What? Yeah. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Jesus had just shared the ultimate thing he was about to do for them. You know, so many times 
We're so worried about what we want right now, we forget what he's already done for us. He just told them what he was about to do. He's about to do the ultimate act of love. He's about to take their place, pay their ransom. And what are they stuck on? Lord, we want you to do what, you, what we ask of you. Just think of how insensitive their words are in the moment. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you've given everything you can give to an individual or everything you can give to a situation and then you're shocked to find out that someone just brushes all that aside and asks you for more? Some of you can think of your boss right now. <laughs> but I've already worked 62 hours this week. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to do whatever I ask of you. <laughs> How do you think Jesus responded to these words? What do you think his posture was? What do you think his facial expression looked like? Do you think he was bummed out? Do you think he was like, oh my goodness, did they, did they really not hear what I just said to them? I, I have to confess, I was sitting in my office this week and I was reading this, and I was sitting in my office, and I don't cry a lot, but I was in tear, tears in my chair. And I'll tell you why. Because I started to think of how often I do this. I started to think of how often my prayers are nothing more than, Lord, I want you to do whatever I'm about to ask you, okay? Lord. And instead of taking the posture of a servant so often, I have a laundry list of things that I want the Lord to do for me. Can you relate? Have you ever stepped back from your prayer life and asked yourself the last time you came to the Lord and said, Lord, what would you have me to do today? So much of our modern prayer lives are a laundry list of things we want God to do for us. And I hope, Lord, that you can take care of A, B, C, D, E, E1, E2, E3, right? And sometimes I wonder how the Lord must feel in heaven. How many prayers a day does he hear all over the globe that are couched exactly like this? Lord, we come to you and we'd like you to do right now whatever we ask of you. And I wonder how many prayers he actually gets of thank you for what you've already done for me. I wonder what, how many prayers he gets where someone says, Lord, not only am I grateful for what you've done for me, but I'm going to ask one thing. Use me today, lead my feet where you want them to go because I am your servant. You are the master your will be done in my life. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't want to go where you're telling me to go, I'm going to go because you're Lord and I'm servant. You're shepherd, I'm sheep, and I'm going to follow. How do you think modern Christianity is doing with that? You know, my reaction in looking at this text, if I were Jesus, I would have said something like, you got to be kidding me. Have you ever... Just wanted to chime in for the Lord, right? This, Lord, this is how you should respond to these knuckleheads. <laughs> Until I realize I'm one of the knuckleheads. 
And he simply responds, 36, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I don't know how he said it. <laughs> this is one of those, another one of those ones where I'm hoping we get video footage. Like, I don't know if he, because this is how I would do it. What do you want me to do for you now? Do you know how many people came to him and that was all they wanted? They wanted what he could give them, whether it be food or a healing miracle or a sign from heaven. That's, that's how he got approached all the time, constantly. And that's how he gets approached today. He's still in heaven. He's still this great intercessor. But for most of the people that probably come to him, including those of us in the church, we come and we probably have our laundry list. And, and my temptation this morning was just to blast all of us and say, you know what, we're all just a bunch of selfish little whiny. I was going to go down my list and then I thought, you know what, but that's not the Lord's heart. I think when he asked, what do you want me to do for you? It was a genuine shepherd's heart. I'm amazed. I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at how many times I've asked the same thing of the Lord, and I, I wonder how he responds. How many times I've come with the same thing I've stumbled over, and I wonder, I wonder what he thinks or if he's ever disgusted with me. But Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says that we come to a throne of what? Grace. That we may say, receive mercy and help in our time of need. If you've been listening to Walk in Truth for a while and you're benefiting from this radio broadcast and you believe in it, then we need you to partner with us. You can do that by going to our website at walkintruth.com and check out Walk Together based upon Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, if you agree with what we're doing, you're benefiting from it, you want others to hear about it, you can partner with us to reach more people through the radio airwaves at walkintruth.com. Help us out, partner with us today, walkintruth.com. God bless you. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith, turning away from our sin, which is repentance. It literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek, which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and, and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, 
or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.